0: Good morning, Journey Church. It's so good to see all of you here at the Lake Worth campus. I want to welcome everyone at Boynton. I wish I could see all of your faces and shake your hands at the Boynton campus. And all of you watching online, welcome. I am so excited to be back at Journey. It feels like, uh, it feels like home, you know, like coming home and seeing all of you and, uh, and being a part of, um, of this amazing community. For those of you who are new who might not know me, About a year ago, I transitioned from being a full-time pastor on staff here at Journey, and now I'm an itinerant minister, so I travel around and speak in churches. And a lot of what I speak on nowadays is mental health and how mental health and our faith kind of converge together. I also speak in public schools all across the country on issues of mental health as well through our nonprofit called Curie Hope. So uh, that's kind of what I've been doing since... I was here last, <laughs> and it's, it's been great. Pastor Scott, thank you so much for inviting me to be back. Once again, Journey, you guys are amazing. And if you don't know this already, I'll just tell you, you have an incredible church. And I really mean that because I now speak at a lot of churches and I see a lot of churches, but I love Journey Church. I love you guys. You guys have amazing, an amazing, amazing, amazing church. So thank you for having me today. We're kicking off a brand new series called Scene, and over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about mental health, and, uh, and this is a big thing, right? We all know this. We all feel this. We know that mental health is, is a big deal, and how does that integrate with our faith? That's a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. Um, I want to share with you another role that I kind of play. I am a family guy. I, I'm a husband, and I am a father. These are probably my favorite roles. They're not probably. They are my favorite roles, um, my wife's on the front row. i gotta, I got to make sure I say the right thing here, right? I, no, uh, this is my family. This is my wife, Ariane, and uh, our three kids. We, this is Liam. He's, he's in middle school. Anyone have a middle schooler? <coughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you, buddy. Yeah, it's, it's great. I love having a middle schooler. And this is my, my little one, Kinsley. She's going into first grade, and uh, she's, she's sweet. And this is Reese. Reese is my middle kid. And if you have a middle kid, you know the middle kids are the sassy kids, right? They're the sassy kids. Uh, A couple years ago when, well, many years ago now when Reese was three, uh, she started to show me her sassiness. And um, you've probably never done this before, but I was, you know, being a stellar parent one day, and I was ignoring my kids. and. Maybe you've never done that, but I know I have. And I was on my phone and scrolling through my phone, uh, probably buying something on Amazon I didn't need, and Reese walks up to me, and she says, Dad, Dad, Daddy! And it was the, <laughs> the daddy that finally got me, and I, I said, yes, Reese, but I, I just kept looking at my phone. And... and and all of a sudden, like, this little tiny three-year-old hand grabs my chin and pulls it towards her face, and she says, look at me! <laughs> and she had never done that before, and it kind of took me back. And, and, and here's what I realized in that moment. I was like, I, I had two choices. And if you're a parent, you get this, you understand this. I had a choice. I could either remind that three-year-old to be patient, or let that three-year-old to remind me to be present, right? And you don't know which one I chose. (laughs) But I I chose the latter, right? I I chose to be present because I realized something that, that Reese didn't need me to just acknowledge her, which is what I did. She needed me to see her, right? Like she needed to be seen. And the truth is, is that we're all desperate to be seen, aren't we? Like, think about that. Like, what what is something that we need from those around us? We desperately desire, every single one of us, our souls are wired to feel the need to be seen. And now, more than ever before, we could honestly probably say that people are desperate for someone to see them. I mean, we've had a tough couple years, and I know we don't like to keep talking about it, but when we really stop and think about the last few years and what we've all experienced, we've all experienced some form of kind of trauma or even micro-trauma, these, these changes that have taken place. And in many ways, some of us, we, we kind of went in this survival mode. Like our mental health was just in this position of just surviving. We were going through cycles of fear and loss, fear and loss. And, and then we got done with that and And now we're supposed to just, okay, back to normal. And sometimes it's a little difficult. And some of us, maybe we're struggling with that. And if you have a loved one who's struggling with some form of mental health, maybe despair or anxiety or maybe a severe mental illness, you know the pain that comes with seeing a loved one hurting. So no matter who we are, like maybe we're somebody who's struggling today with our own mental health. Or maybe we have a loved one who's struggling with some form of mental health. Chances are, we're all in this together, feeling this tension. And maybe asking the question, like, what can we do about it? You know, I, as we kind of look at the landscape of our world, we have a mental health crisis taking place. But I want to kind of pause for a minute and... Acknowledge that yes, there's a mental health crisis taking place among all demographics But I also want to highlight where we're seeing the most severity of mental health issues And it's in the next generation specifically in teenagers and young adults and if it's okay I'm, I'm this morning. I'm gonna share some bad news, but then I'm gonna share a lot of good news, okay? So I just want you to know how big of a challenge that that we're currently facing And I'm gonna give you a few stats Since 2007, suicide rates have increased 76% for ages 15 to 19. Now, this is a big deal because we're seeing that that suicide ideation is increasing in all demographics, but specifically for these ages, this is a tremendous increase. Suicide rates have nearly doubled in teen girls, and the highest rate of increase in suicide among all age groups is in kids between 10 to 14 years old. So the most alarming trend that we've seen in the last few years is that lower and lower age groups are experiencing deep despair in a place of hopelessness. Depressive symptoms are up 21% and 50% in girls and suicide attempts among black teens has increased 73% between 91 and 2017 and there's an elevated risk of suicide among African American boys ages 5 to 11. So again, we see an even younger and younger trend. And here's why these stats, uh, why I'm telling you this. Because you might not be a parent. You might not have a teenager or a five-year-old or a six-year-old in your home. But chances are, you're listening today or you're watching online today, and you are a uh, grandparent, perhaps. Or maybe you're an aunt or an uncle or maybe you have a neighbor who is a kid or a teenager or a friend who has a kid or a teenager. Chances are somewhere in your world you have someone in this age group. And I just want you to understand that when we talk about a mental health crisis, it is affecting all of us. But it is especially affecting the next generation. And you might now at this point feel what so many of us have felt. That when we see someone who's hurting we wonder, what can I do against this invisible enemy? Maybe you've often wondered, like, am I missing something or am I doing everything right? I was talking to a mom just a few weeks ago who, when talking about her 17-year-old who's struggling with some despair and anxiety, she said, I just feel like I failed. And maybe you're here today and you feel like you failed. Maybe you're even looking at your own mental health and you feel like you failed. Maybe you feel like there, there's maybe more that I could have done or maybe I just, I'm not praying enough or I've, I don't have enough faith to get out of this rut that I'm in. If there's anything you hear this morning, I hope you hear this, that you've not failed. That you may be going through a challenging time. You may be struggling through a mental health issue, but you've not failed. Maybe you're seeing a loved one or a kid who's struggling and you feel like you've failed. But you haven't failed. I promise you that there's always hope. There's always hope. And here's the good news of the morning. Are you ready? You're like, please give me some good news. I'm ready for some good news. Okay, here's the good news. The good news is we have a God who sees you. The good news is... We have a God who knows something about the organ that's in our heads. He knows about this brain. He knows how he wired it and he knows how he configured it. And there is good news. The good news is that we have a God who sees us and he loves us and he's given us some solutions to these challenges that we're facing. So I want to kind of lay out a couple simple truths here. Yes, we have a rise in despair like never before in modern times. But we have the words of Jesus who says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We have a God who says, Yes, I know that there's problems in this world, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Like, you're not alone. And maybe it, may it feels like you failed. Maybe you're struggling through it. But, but there's good news. There's actually really good news. There's practical things that we can do to help move our mental health in a positive direction. And there's practical things that you can do when someone that you love is struggling with mental health to move them in towards a place of healing. So that's good news. But there's a couple simple truths that we have to understand. The first one is that God is the source of healing in Jesus' name. And this is important because sometimes as Christians, we can struggle when we talk about the brain and mental health and and we struggle because we're like, how does this fit with my theology? Like, how does, how does mental health and psychology and therapy and taking medicine for mental health issues, how does that fit in my theology? Well, the same way that, you know, heart medicine, medication or um, let's say if you had a cardiac issue, or cardiac issue. Wow, I had a hard time saying that word today. Um, you have the faith and you'll pray, God, heal my heart, but you're also going to take your blood pressure medicine, right? It doesn't change the fact that Jesus is the source of life. It doesn't change the fact that he's the source of healing. It's our faith and our actions together, right? So when we talk about mental health, it doesn't take away from this truth that Jesus is the source of healing. How do we know that? James says it this way, He says, if anyone among you is sick, let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. This is why we pray for people when they're in the hospital or when they're struggling with physical illnesses. Because we know that we have this truth, right? And the Lord will raise them up and if they sin, they will be forgiven. Here's the second truth that we have to understand. God is love. Now, this is really important. So kind of like pin this one and hold on to this one. Because as we talk a little bit more today, you're going to see that love is a big solution to how we move the brain towards healing. And how do we know this? We know this because 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not love. know God because God is love. So what's interesting about this is we have a God who says, hey, love l- love is a big deal. In fact, it's one of the attributes that I define myself with, that God is love. So when we love others, we are exhibiting and, pr- and, and showing a very nature of who God is like we're we're sharing the very nature of who God is so so God is love that's important and here's the third basic truth that we need to stand on today is that God gives us wisdom and reveals to us the mysteries of heaven and earth so when I say that we have a God who knows something about our brains and this organ that he created he also gives us wisdom to understand right he reveals things to us that maybe we didn't know before Daniel uh, 2.21 says, It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. In James, we also see that if any of you lack wisdom, to ask God and he freely gives it. So we have a God who has not left us alone. He's not forsaken us. We have a God who says, listen, I'm the source. I'm with you. We have a God who says, I am love. And so when you love others, there's something that that transpires there. And we have a God who says, I'll give you wisdom and understanding so that you can navigate some of these challenges in life. In 2016, my passion for mental health um, started to form because I started to see these issues among the, the next generation. As a next-gen pastor, I was, I was really alarmed by the mental health problems that I was seeing. But as time went on, and even in my time here at Journey, when, when COVID was taking place, it just seemed to all intensify, and uh, in 2020, myself and Dr. Chinway Williams got together, and we said, "How can we take neuroscience and everything that that we understand about how God's wired the brain, and all these books about neuroscience that are really big, and how do we make it really, really simple? Like, how do we simplify it for parents and caring adults, and for coworkers and spouses to be able to help those who are hurting with practical solutions?" And so that's how Scene came to be a part, and um, it launched last year in, in July of 2021, and so far it's helped thousands to help others when they're hurting. And here's, here's why this is such a big deal, because we have our faith, and we know that God is a source of healing, but there's also a practical side to this organ, right? That it's not just a, a spiritual thing, there's a, there's a physical component to this, just like other organs in our bodies, our lungs, our hearts, our kidneys, like, there's, there's a, a physical component as well. The unique thing about the brain, and I, I don't usually say this, but you guys are family, so I'm going to tell you what I don't normally say. The unique thing about the brain is the brain is the place where the spiritual and the physical converge together, right? So... So sometimes we look at it and we're like, well, this is a spiritual problem. Yes. But it's also a physical problem. Yes. So what solutions do we need? Both. <laughs> right? You, you, you tracking with me this morning? Like, that's, that's what we're, we're talking about. And here's, here's what we know about the brain. Your brain is made up of a lot of parts. But we're going to simplify this to your, the two sides of your brain. You have the emotional side of your brain you have the left side of your brain your emotional side is kind of your right brain processing and your left side is your left brain processing so think l for logical left all right in a healthy brain you kind of feel emotions you logically process back and forth so you're sitting at home you hear glass shatter and a big crash and immediately right side of your brain your amygdala goes whoop fight flight or freeze right and you're like, what am I going to do? You're either going to run. Some of you, you're wired this way. You're going to run away from whatever sound there was. Some of you are going to scream and then run. Or if you're a gasper, you're going to go, ah! <laughs> right? and, and some of you are going to go into fight mode, right? You're going to find anything next to you. You're going to grab a lamp. You're going to be like, oh! You know, you have a pillow. I'm not sure what you're going to do with that. But you're going to go into fight mode, right? And some of you are just going to go, ah! <laughs> And freeze. And and that's our emotional response. But then after a while, let's say your logical processing starts to take place, you start to investigate. You look around the room and you see that a picture had fallen off the wall. And that is what you logically start to analyze now. Of like, that's probably, okay, there's glass there, the crash. You take a deep breath and now your logical processing starts to inform the amygdala that, hey, there's no danger. Good news. There's not a burglar coming into my house. Or a bear. (laughs) You guys don't worry about bears. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We're in South Florida. Alligators. That's what we're really afraid of, right? (laughs) No, no, I take that back. Iguanas. Iguanas. Gosh, there's an iguana in my house. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. All right. The problem is, is that when we experience cortisol, stress hormone, over time it can kind of drip, 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 drip. And create kind of this elevated energy in the right side of the brain. And, and when we do this, God's wired our brains this way. That the right side of the brain gets, gets prioritized. Blood flow even shifts to the right side of the brain. And this can create a dispairing of the right side and the left side of the brain. So think of despair as a dispair of the right and the left side of the brain. Psychologists call this an emotional detachment. And this this is one of the most difficult things that someone can experience, honestly, especially when they experience it time over time over time. And this is why when somebody is in a state of despair, when you ask them how they feel, oftentimes they'll say, I don't know. Or they may respond with, I feel numb. And the reason why is because in order to identify the feelings that we were feeling, we need the right or uh, the left side of our brain to process the language processing, and when the two sides are despaired or disconnected, we just can't do it. And now, when you put this in a state of constant feeling that there's there's uh, a security threat to our state of being, or that we're in a place of not feeling safe, we walk around in this. This mild place of despair and despairing. As one theologian put it, despair is like the dark night of the soul. It can be a long journey. So, what do we do when we have a loved one who's experiencing this, or maybe we feel this? Well, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of solutions, and there's there's power in Jesus' name, there's power in prayer. There's power in the truth of scripture. There's power in all of the things that we know in our spiritual toolkit. But there's also power, in a very practical sense, in connection. Because get this, you guys. God has wired our brains to respond predictably to love and empathy. In powerful ways. God has wired our brains to respond in a way where we can actually start to bring the two sides back together through connection. When we feel seen. On a deep level, when we feel loved and, and we feel empathy from another person, we can actually begin to decrease despair and bring back the logical processing. Oxytocin, another hormone that you may have heard of, starts to go to work when we feel seen on a deep level. And it can actually help us reroute to places of when we felt safe. So when, when somebody is with us in the place of despair, we can help them to decrease that emotional energy and bring the two sides back together to get back to a whole brain processing that is really good news it's good news because we as the church we have a unique opportunity don't we that yes there's a medical field that's helpful yes there's there's a a mental health community therapists that are helpful but we as the church we can provide something to those who are experiencing despair like like no other entity can what can we do we can show them that god sees them and loves them but we can also show them that we see them and we love them yeah that's good news connection actually moves the brain towards healing this is a big part of recovery when somebody's experiencing severe mental illness depression despair or anxiety connection plays a huge role and this matters this matters because if you're a parent and you have a kid who's struggling with a mental health illness, oftentimes you've felt stuck and you felt like there's nothing you can do. But I want you to know that there is something that you can do, that you're helping move them towards healing through connection. It's not the only thing. We need a wraparound approach for sure when we get to mental health issues. And depending on what somebody is dealing with, there's, there's lots of different approaches. But I want you to know that you play a part. You play a part with your coworker. You play a part with your spouse. You play a part with your kids, your neighbor. You can play a part to promote their healing. That is really good news. So what does this connection look like? As we kind of close out our time together today, what does connection look like in a really simple way? In the the book scene, we outline uh, five different connection points and how to do this practically. But today I want to just give you two of them uh, this morning. And I think they're the two most important. The first one is to show up. I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, whoa, that's deep. (laughs) But it's really, it's simple, but it's really profound at the same time. That connection begins with showing up. And the reason why this matters, especially today, is because something's shifted in our culture, in its digital connection. The problem with this is our brains don't interpret empathy the same way through digital connection, as face-to-face. Our brains are wired to respond in certain ways when we're face-to-face with somebody. When we have eye contact and appropriate physical touch, when we, uh, we feel that somebody's listening and that we can hear their tone of voice, it triggers different hormones. Specifically, oxytocin can be released in stronger ways when we're face-to-face with somebody. So showing up is a big, big deal. So what does that look like? Well, first, we have to show up undistracted. Showing up undistracted is, is a big part of this. If you are uh, a parent, let me, let me pause and just talk to you. <clears throat> because chances are, as a parent, you've probably said the words like, get off your screens or put that controller down, right? Any parents <laughs> or any confession, you know? Like, how many times have we said that? But the reality is, if we're really honest, we're all a little addicted to these devices from time to time, right? And we can give the next generation a hard time, but you can be a 75-year-old and be addicted to screens. And we have to recognize that digital addiction is a real thing. But when we're trying to connect with somebody and help them to feel seen on a deep level, this doesn't help us to do that. So we have to fully be present to show up undistracted, to show up and just simply see them. What does this look like? It looks like maybe when when your spouse or a loved one walks in the room, you pause the TV for a minute. And I know what you're thinking. You can pause that? (laughs) Shocking. I know. But just to simply make a connection, to look at them Um, To maybe even have a space or a time in your household or in your rhythm where there's no screens and no digital devices. To just simply be present. To kind of create a rhythm of connection. We have to fight for this, you guys. As a culture, we have to fight for more time. to, To create conversations with people. Because as we create that space, we're creating opportunities for vulnerability and deeper conversations, and deeper connection. And that's really important for influencing the brain towards healing. And then the second one is this, show up when it's inconvenient. Um, this, is, this is true, right? It's not always convenient. You're in the middle of something and your husband's trying to talk to you about something and you're like just, <laughs> you know? Or your kid walks in Okay, if you have a kid, by the way, let me just, uh, another parent thing. I don't know about you, but my kids become like deep philosophers at midnight. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I'm like, dear Lord, just let them pass out and sleep. You know, it's like, but they want to talk at the most inconvenient times sometimes, right? And I have to remind myself of this. I have to remind myself, no, I just need to show up even when it's inconvenient. Because there's times where where it's going to be inconvenient. I remember learning this when I was a young pastor. I was probably 22, 23, and uh, I got a call that one of my students had an unexpected death in his family, and it was probably 11 o'clock, maybe midnight. And I got in the car, and I knew well enough that I just needed to show up. And so I got in the car, and I picked up his small group leader, who happened to be a fire chief, and we started driving to the house. And as we were driving, I was thinking about all the scriptures I needed to share and what I needed to say to encourage him, and Now, I remember this very wise fire chief kind of puts his hand on my shoulder. He goes, whoa, 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 listen, you don't have to say anything. You just have to show up. He's like, it's called the ministry of presence. And I was like, wow. (laughs) I've never heard that before. But it's so true that sometimes to help someone and to encourage their healing, we have to recognize that showing up and being present is a big, big part of that. That's what begins this process. Of bringing the two sides back together. That's what releases the oxytocin and increases connection. We have to simply show up. Here's the next one. The next one is that we have to see them. It's not enough to just be present. We have to see them and what I mean by this is see beyond the behavior to see the emotion of what they're actually experiencing. You have maybe a, a coworker or an employee who's five minutes late or ten minutes late and immediately you go to the principal why are they late? You're looking at the behavior. But are you seeing them in that moment? Now, before you go off and say, well, what are you saying, Will? We can just let everyone be late. <laughs> Seems like we'll have a disheveled culture. And I'm not saying that we, we let things off. But what I'm saying is, is see them first. Meet, meet the emotion with emotion before you engage the logical processing. Because if you have, go back to that brain illustration, right? Like Think about that. Um, if you have uh, someone who's right brain activated and you're meeting them with left brain logic, what happens? You pass right by them. So what would be best is if you first meet emotion with emotion, first meet them with empathy. Say, hey, is everything okay? Are you all right? Well, you know, I have this and my dog, you know, and it just started doing stuff and I didn't know what to do and I was scared and I had to call someone and they're taking them to the vet and I'm just really worried. Oh my goodness! I'm so sorry. Oh, You must felt really like scared, and yeah, I am scared. Oh, Tell me more. Like give them a, a couple minutes to process it. Then, maybe, like 10 minutes later, or in this case, I would say the emotion's strong enough, wait maybe to the end of the day, or even the next day, and say, "Hey." You know, I know that your dog was like, next time, would you mind just shooting me a text so I know about it, right? Now you're engaging left brain logic, but you're not doing it in the moment where they're at that heightened emotional place. You're first meeting right brain with right brain, then you're coming back around to logical processing. That makes sense? Let me give you another parent example. Uh, teenager parents. Like, okay, if you have a, let's say you have a 15-year-old daughter. Any 15-year-old daughter parents watching online or a in in the room? Yeah, okay. So let's say your 15-year-old daughter comes home and she is in a mood. You know, there's just emotion going on and throws her backpack down, kicks your shoes off. You know, you can see the vibe going on. And you think to yourself, you're like, I told her a million times not to throw her shoes across the room. So you go, what is going on? And she says, I failed my test. And this was a big test and now I'm worried I'm not going to go to college and everything's going to fall apart and my my, my shoe broke and so I'm just tired of those shoes and it's the teacher's fault of why I failed my test because she didn't give me the right study guide because it's always the teacher's fault, by the way. (laughs) And she goes on and on. And here's what you do. You say, you failed your test? (laughs) Well, you know what? I'm not surprised. You know, yesterday I was telling you to study, I even asked you if you had homework and you told me no. I came in there at 11 to check on you and you're over there on the tickety (laughs) talk. I'm not surprised you failed your test. And you might even throw in an incorrect theological zinger on this one. You might even say, you know, God only helps those who help themselves. And here's what your teenage daughter is going to do. She's going to roll her eyes and say, you just don't understand. Oh my goodness, it was like a chorus. <laughs> Have we lived this before? <laughs> and this may be your teenage daughter, husbands, it may be your wife who says, I don't, you just don't understand, or vice versa. But when somebody says you don't understand, what they're really saying is you don't see me. You don't see me. And I'm not saying that all that you just said to your teenage daughter isn't true. I just wanna propose a different approach. Now, when your teenage daughter comes in, kicks her shoes off, throws down the backpack, there's a vibe going on, and you say, what is going on? And she goes into the spiel about how she broke, you know, she failed her test and her shoe broke and it's teacher's fault. Instead of meeting that right brain energy, you can see she's emotionally activated. Instead of meeting with the left brain logic, you go, oh, you failed your test. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I know how much this class means to you and how you're worried now about graduation. You, you must feel really disappointed. Tell me about it. Let her vent. Let her get it all out. As she identifies emotions, say, so you feel scared? Tell me more. Do you feel angry? Tell me about it. And just let all of that emotional energy come out. Now, you might be thinking all the same thoughts in the back of your head. You're not responsible. I told you to study. You were on TikTok last night. You know, just hold on to them for a little bit. (laughs) You know? Just hold on to them. I'm not saying they're not true. They, they are. Just hold on to them for a minute. When we meet people first with empathy, and we just meet them right where they are, you might even say something like, you know, if I failed a big project at work, I would feel exactly the same way you do. Because that's true. It's not that you're being inauthentic. It's that you're meeting them right where they are with emotion, with empathy. You let that, left, that right brain energy decrease. Then maybe after 10 minutes, you can come around and say, hey, you know." What do you think we can do differently next time to get a different result? Is there anything you could do differently, right? Now you're engaging problem-solving. In, in this case, you know, depending on how your teenage daughter is, you might wait maybe a couple hours or even the next day. You know, If it's your spouse, wait a week, you know, just, <laughs> just kidding, kind of. So, so it's not that we don't engage left brain processing. It's just that we don't do it first. Does that make sense? So we show up and we see them and we see deeper. So whether it's your coworker, whether you have a kid, maybe you have a spouse who's struggling with mental health, I want you to know that there's hope. That we have a God who sees you. We have a God who sees them. We have a God who loves us. And he's not forsaken us. And he's given us Some knowledge and some wisdom that that connection really does matter, that love and empathy actually can move the needle towards healing and that the brain can heal from mental health and that all of us play a little bit of a part in that. Today, maybe you're here today and you feel like nobody sees you. Maybe you're watching online and you feel that way. Look at me for a minute. God sees you. Jesus sees you. We see you. If you're here at Boynton or here at Lake Worth and you just feel deeply alone today, I hope that you will, in in a few moments when we have a, a prayer time and prayer team, that you'll connect with someone. If you're not sure you want to do that, my hope is as you're walking out through the foyer that you'll just grab someone with a name tag or A volunteer badge and just say I just need to share with somebody something that I need connection I need some friends I just need a conversation to be brave enough to share that you need to be seen today because we love you we care about you maybe you have a loved one who is struggling with mental health I want you to know that there's hope and that yes there's some other Principles to this like we need to pray hard and and we need to stand on the truth of scripture But there's also some very practical things that we can do to lean in to help them to feel seen to show up and to see them and Just know that your connection actually matters and it moves the needle in the right direction And that's really good news is it okay if we pray together this morning all across this room and online Boynton? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your love for us. God, we thank you that you see us, that you've not forsaken us, that you've not left us. But God, you are with us. God, I thank you that you see us. You see us on a deep level. That you've not forsaken us, you've not left us. But God, you are with us. You're here now. I pray for every single person who's struggling today with anxiety or despair or... Other mental health challenges, God, I just pray that in Jesus' name, there would be a breakthrough in a miracle. God, I pray for healing. But God, I also pray that there would be connection, a deep place of feeling loved and seen and empathy that helps them to move the needle in this organ that you've created called the brain. God, I pray for the loved ones that we all represent who may be struggling today. And I pray, God, that you would use us as an agent of of your voice and your love, as a vessel of your love, to help them to heal. Help us, God, to slow down, to show up, and to see people deeper than just their behavior. Help us to see their hearts. I thank you for this time together, and I thank you for who you are, that you are the God of the universe, that you love us and you see us. We pray this all in Jesus' name.